Hi, welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, JP McMahon. Hi, you're very welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast. I'm here with Kuhn Green today. Hey, Kuhn, how are you going? Hey, JP. Thanks for having me. Oh no, you're you're very welcome. So, other than uh, the, the projects that are that are that are keeping you going at the moment, um, I'm going to be talking to to Kuhn about his uh, about I suppose about his formative years and about some of the time he spent in um, working in in Copenhagen and I suppose that how that influenced his um, his his present position. But Kuhn, I wanted to start off with asking. I mean, on Instagram, you posted a, a picture of the. The, I presume it was your your family kitchen that uh, where, where you grew up, and I suppose for me it was a real striking image because it's not. I suppose I certainly don't have any photographs of the kitchen I grew up in, and I suppose I never really thought about the kitchen I grew up in because it, there wasn't. I suppose the emphasis wasn't uh, so much on food for for me, but I suppose how was how was cooking in in growing up for you, or how was the kind of the the, the domestics space and and how did that kind of uh, how did that I suppose influence your own thinking about food um I think you know I I, I, I almost took that ki- my kitchen for granted as a kid it was just something I grew up with um and if it wasn't for uh, maybe my school friends coming in um and and being somewhat impressed or or shocked by by the kitchen we had um I would have never noticed like I must, I must say it's like it is. A, it is a nice kitchen. <laughs> it just that was when I when I saw that I was like, God, that's a lovely kitchen. Yeah, it it is, but it's 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 you know it's it's quite a modest kitchen as well, and that's what I love mm. it now. It's it's a real um, it's a real cook's kitchen, and my parents, um, they're they're both artists, um, and you know they've never they've never worked professionally, but they both absolutely love food and and everything that encapsulates it. And um, when it came to designing their kitchen, which is over 20 years ago now, um, they decided to do something that would be really functional. Um, and with that kind of artistic mindset, they created something that was really lovely and and um, and humbling in the process. Was your mother involved in food? You said that that they weren't professional, but is is um, I thought I thought there was a, a kind of um, your your mom was involved in, in in food or in design in some way. Is she? Uh, well, my mum's um, she's an artist um, trained in, okay. in glass. She's, so she's the glass blower. Her mother was a cook, so she was um, she actually trained in Calbrew Street, where I trained in in culinary school, um, and was the first class to ever have have uh, have started that course. Um, what, what, what that was your mum's mum? Yeah, yeah. So Lali de Butler. Um, so oh, Eamon, wow. What, so what Eamon, year was that? It would have been in the 1950s, I oh, think. Wow. Yeah, so she, she actually, for my 21st birthday present, she gave me her version of the Auguste Escoffier cookbook that she got on her first day. Um, so we've always had that uh, lovely relationship, myself and, and Lali, uh, my grandmother. You know, we kind of... I love investigating and, and talking about the past with her and um, showing her the things that I do and, and how it's almost kind of circled back in a way and because she'd have a knowledge of, of wild food and, and um, kind of colloquial cooking. Um, so that's been a really lovely thing. And then on my other side, my dad's a graphic designer who did a lot of work within the wine industry, um, both importing and designing for uh, wine labels. 
Um, and now he's a little bit more in the whiskey industry. But um, his dad, my grandfather, who's still alive, is a publican and he managed um, the Bailey uh, Hotel or the Bailey pub on South Ann Street. So similarly, we have that connection. So I guess it does go through. It, it is in the bloodstream. Yeah, but it's not. It's a, there's a nice collection there of kind of food, wine, and design, which is which, which for me like is really important now. But it, it's really nice, and I, like I, I under I suppose when you when you when you're when you're into history, I suppose as as you are and as I am, you you see things circling back on themselves so many times, and you think something is 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 new, or you think something is on trend, and then you realize it was. It, it, it was either that way 20 or 40 or, 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 or 60, 60, year, 60 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely worth, you know, keeping that information around in terms of, uh, just in terms of food trends. It's crazy how things are circle back and they come back so quickly as well. You know, what I thought may have been extremely, you know, naff a couple of years ago, I see creeping in now and I'm predicting that, this or that will come through and it's stuff I may have learned 10 years ago. It's oh, it's, I definitely, I was even talking like Volivants, I think are making a massive <laughs> comeback and, and now they're really cool <laughs> and, uh, and sexy. And I was like, I remember actually in the nineties going, I've, if you saw a Volivant on the menu or someone asked you to make a Volivant, you were like, no. And like, <laughs> and now I, it, pies and all of that side of things is just so, it seems like, yeah, so cool and so trendy. Whereas in 10 years ago, I don't think I, I you couldn't imagine a place doing pies or Volavons. It was so old school, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. I can I can picture I can picture something like a Volavon now. Oh but my god! Yeah. Last, last week, I um, the new the new menu for Noma came out, um, and I was looking at what they created, and um, they have. I think their final dish is a is a can an edible candle that's with a burning wicker, and I was looking at it, and I was just thinking how not Noma that dish felt to me, not the Noma that I trained in. It felt like somewhere from, from Spain when I was working, I used to work in a Kika de Costa in Spain um, as a, I think I was 20 years old. And that was all about creating dishes out of, you know, just making like dishes that look like the real thing or looking, look like something else. Um, recreating a walnut an edible walnut that tasted like a walnut or something like that. Yeah, no, sure. I've, I've eaten in Kikis a few times and uh, the, that hit that last uh, course that I think it's, it's, it's one of the signatures of, of the rose petal. That's not a rose petal. Yeah. Or, yeah. And exactly. that's, and that's, yeah. And I, I've even found and like, we will touch on Noma later, but I've even found like, you can even see the kind of circularity of, of, of things and, I mean, I, I suppose we all have the impression that time is moving forward, and I suppose that's what the clocks say and that's what the years say. But really, you can—it's when you look at even if you take a gnome as a microcosm, you can see that they're already circling back to to things that they would have been probably against when they opened first. And even yeah. that's probably the same for us in a near, like in the sense of whatever vision we had of Irish food and what we thought we were doing in, in 2010 is very different to what I think we're doing now in 2021. And, and I would probably disagree with some of the stuff that we started off with. And I think, and I, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's just interesting how, I suppose, how that, that, uh, that, um, that, uh, comes around. And also just to, just to the wild food, um, 
I think one of the the nineteen seventy eight, which is the year I'm born, is is um is the year um um uh, the what that that book, the Irish Wild Food book, came out, and so it's it's uh, it's it's interesting how like that was forty years, forty three years ago, and like okay, it's the last ten years or so, but certainly when they were writing, it was very much something that was. Uh, uh, not so much, uh, not so much appreciated in uh, within Irish society. Almost looked down upon to a, to a to to a to a certain degree. But it is, yeah, it's 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 um it, it, it's interesting. But yeah, I think I think those kind of micro histories of the the relationship that you have with food growing up was probably very different to a lot of people around you. And, he, and I I found that writing the book as well, talking to people about what did you eat when you were younger, and and it could range. It was, such, it was such a massive range to people eating wild game, which is something I did not eat when we were younger. I didn't even know about it. And for other people who who second nature because they grew up in the countryside, and I yeah. suppose that that was the, where the tradition was. So I think when you try and tie down, like, well, what is food like in 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 the past, or what it's like in the eighties and nineties, I think you find that because of your relationship with the, your your grandmother or your father and and that you you will you'll have a very different um kind of micro history almost of, of what was happening in Irish food then definitely definitely and i think even growing up in a city i mean while i my parents really um they investigated all and, and served us all types of food um from like all over the world we rarely had um, pr- maybe ingredients like offal. And that's something that even now I'm quite, you know, while I love sweetbreads, the, I, I, can't, I can't go near kidneys or as it's just something I, I didn't grow up with. And um, while I go out to the farm or I visit this or that in the countryside, it's very common that they they eat and serve the likes of li- livers and, and kidneys because that's what that's what was around you know so um, it's really interesting the way both climate and location can um, can have an impact on what we eat. Yeah, it's fun. I was just out in in Connemara and it was actually in the Castle House Hotel, which is like a very um, uh, old school in terms of like the that kind of Irish hospitality that but they did have liver and uh, kidney on the menu and I was like thinking I was like who the hell would be eating liver and kidney for breakfast and then they came down and said I'm really sorry but we're out of liver and because <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, one of the last ones to eat and I was like all right so that answers my question yeah uh, but yeah it's just a different uh, yeah I think a different and certainly my mom I think would, would have eaten liver and kidneys it's not something so much that uh I grew up in, but then again, I think it's something that comes and goes. And I remember cooking in the late nineties when I suppose when, uh, uh, Fergus Henderson was cooking and everything was about awful. And it was just like how, like, even when we opened the first cava, we had kidneys and liver on the menu. And it, it's kind of weird that the, like we still have chicken hearts on the menu now, but it, it has changed slightly. And I think that is about kind of like, uh, what is, I suppose, a, what's on trend, but also what, what people, what people will eat and what they're, what, yeah. what they're what they're um um what they're used to but you said you went to you went to call Brewer street and like but in your i suppose i in your in your teenage years did you find you cook much or did you like did you find did you do home economics in school or what was kind of like the the, the formative moments in your in your teenage years when you realized that like food was something that you could uh i suppose that you could explore in terms of your own identity yeah i um I've always had an interest in food, like right from a young age, right from being a child. Um, 
I have, there's images of me cooking on, standing on stools, cooking with my mum and sometimes doing it alone um, when she wasn't around. But um, it, it, it continued um, when, when we actually moved to France as teenagers, as kids with my parents. Um, we moved there down to the Languedoc for three years as, as children and spent um, that time in a little winemaking village. Um, and I think back then I wanted to be a rugby player, um, but I obviously didn't have the talent and um, discovered a real interest in the industry I'm in now. Um, in, that, in that region and in France especially, there's... It's incredible the interest and how much food plays a part in life. Everything from wh where you got it, what you what you did with it, to what you're going to do with it, it was discussed at a dining table. Um, and I, we just became completely immersed in in food over there. So I did my first. Um, I had my first part time job when I was 14. I was, it was remarkable. So I, I've been hooked ever since. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And I suppose it does. I mean, uh, I still think that, that that experience is so important. And I know as, as our own food culture grows in Ireland, I still, I think that uh, the more developed food cultures like French and Spanish and possibly Italian. And, and now, I mean, for young people like De Denmark will have, a, it, it, I mean, it's nearly, I suppose their food, I mean, their contemporary food culture is probably 20 years old now in the sense of when it began and people will go there now. But certainly I think that that makes a, a big impression. And it was, even though it was, it was later or not, it was a bit later for me, but for me, it was, it was in Spain and just realizing, I suppose how food could just be part of every single moment of every single day. And and literally from the mo from from the morning to to the evening and that discussion and that that kind of like what are you going to eat and when are you going to eat it and those questions like that the questions like that were the, that I didn't I suppose experience as a as a kid I mean my father's a scientist and uh, there was six kids so my my mom my mom was at home but there was there was never I mean food was very utilitarian I suppose for us um, to a certain degree because of that. Um, and um, uh, I suppose because of that that relationship, but it was certainly I think other other places and other countries, and I think it's an important um, I suppose an important rite of passage almost still still for for young people. Yeah, growing up in France, I think for me, you know, it was, while I wasn't overly aware of this, but it's when I look back, food was you know very local and very regional. We lived in this tiny little village, you know, it wasn't even a town. And food grew around us and you source the ingredients that were, or you cooked with the ingredients that were available. And, and a lot of the time they were abundant and phenomenal. But it's, it's only now when I look back that how formative that was for me, because now I place such high importance on um, the origin of ingredients. Yeah. And was, was there any like particular, like particular foods or like particular dishes from that period that you, that you remember uh, that was saying like that you were, I suppose that you were interested in that are different to now, or uh, do you find it's the same? Um, well, back then I remember my mom saying to me, you know, when I was kind of, I was probably 16 and working in kitchen in a, in a French kitchen. And then I was kind of doing part-time here and there. Um, I always had, I always held foreign food in high esteem. I always thought like the, the cooking of Asia or, or France or Spain, you know, El Bulli was 
was at the height back then. Renee was only re- really coming through yeah. with Noma. And I remember my mom just saying, you know, it, the future is in food of your own country. And I remember just thinking what rubbish that was. You know, I just did not believe it. I grew up in Dublin where we, we looked to distant shores for, for quality. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what I believed. And, I, you know, we discovered that in France, that the quality was there. So when I came back to Ireland, I kind of, as an 18-year-old, I, I was thinking that, you know, foreign produce is king. And now, I mean, that's definitely not how I, how I feel. And, and I, I literally, I was just talking to a Spanish journalist this morning about a similar thing in the sense of, look, I suppose it's like outer recognition and like, I definitely, I was like, well, she was like, why did you open a Spanish restaurant first? And I suppose we, because I suppose I felt Spanish food was, yeah, it was more important or better or whatever I felt. And I said, it's never like, it's still, it's still about balance about, because you will always need, it's like yin and yang, you will have your own, what you're doing and there will be that outside it. But I think it was that, there was a kind of a lack of internal confidence in ourselves. And even, even if you look at the, like the formative Irish restaurants in the, from the seventies on up until, up until the, the noughties, I mean, they were, I suppose they used Irish produce, but it was very much coming through from the lens of, of, of French cuisine. And it, that was very much the focus. And that wasn't even about the chef's choice. It was also what, what, what people wanted in terms of they wouldn't go out to, I think anything else. And uh, if you had an Irish restaurant, it was very much a, like country cooking uh, or, or something that, that people would have looked down upon uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, we definitely, we're a much more edu- educated population now. Um, and we've, through travel, you know, we've, we've brought back a lot of ideas, but also, you know, I think we have um, a lot more confidence in, in our own cooking in our own country. And yeah, I think, so, it, I think it just, um, it just takes, I think it takes time and I think it takes, like a generation or two, or even intergeneration, like like I'm 43, and I forget, how old are you now, Kun? 29 next week. Yeah, so, I, and I would, I always, always say, I think we're nearly the same age, but I think, I, I think is uh, like with the, like with the lads in an era, I was going, he's our age, and he's like, you're 40, 43, and I'm 21, <laughs> and I go, oh yeah, 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 but I, I think even, even with that kind of intergeneration, I, I, I can see now, like, um, I mean, people your age are uh, in their in their late 20s are, are, are so, like, I wouldn't say ahead is wrong, but I think I have a better understanding of where I was in my late 20s. Um, and I think that that's, that's all, that's a cultural shift as well. I think there is more, there's more supports there. there it's just, um, I mean, possibly, I'm sure the internet and, and cheaper airfares play, uh, play part, a part in that as well. But I think the support structure that in terms of our food culture and, and where it is, is, is possibly possibly better now than it was 10 or, or 15 years ago. So I think that, and that's, that's hopeful then. I think hopefully the 18-year-olds now are really have, have, have so much to explore, you know, because it's been like 20 years almost now. And um, so yeah. I think, I think it was, it, hopefully, fingers crossed, it would be good for the, the younger chefs, um, younger chefs uh, coming in. But you, you see, you mentioned you went to, you went to Cahill Brewery Street. What was the experience like uh, in, in Cahill Brewery Street? And, and I suppose where, uh, what, so what restaurants did you work in when, when you were, when you were there in, in Dublin? I had a really great college experience. I 
I loved it. And I, I, I feel it was um, a very formative period for me. I mean, I grew up, I, I was allowed to grow up slowly, which is important, you know, and, and being in a classroom with people from all over, um, both guys and girls, rather than being, you know, put in this kitchen with a bunch of young men. You know, I think that definitely had a, had a, a big part on how I grew up um, and the kind of the respect I have for people is 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 a product of that and my and my parents and my family. But I re- I loved I loved college. Um, I didn't I not only just learned about cooking, but I learned about um, the the business side of the restaurant, which I thought was 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 brilliant, and, and also the science. And likewise, I, I during that period I worked in a couple of restaurants around Dublin. I kind of I started in. Wild Goose and Grill, and then moved to Eli, and I did some some work in, in Dax um, and one Pico, and then I spent time working in Thorntons. So I trained under Kevin Thornton for a for almost two years. How was the experience of of uh, of, of, of working in um, in in, in with, with with Kevin in terms of I suppose shaping your your attitude towards I suppose the resp- I always get that from Kevin in terms of like there's a deep respect for food even i suppose he always described me as saying like you wouldn't go to a doctor who was wearing a dirty white coat and so he is saying like that you need to be you need to you need to look like a professional so i think and at the same time kevin is like immensely creative there's so much of the arts Mm. present in kevin that i i think that he's a great example i think for 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 younger chefs and even for myself in terms of that like food isn't only food like food is a food is a vehicle for for so much more yeah absolutely i mean i think back then he was ahead of his time and and really doing amazing cooking for that period um while i was there there was an incredible team in um kieran sweeney was a chef de party there was um, Killian Durkin from uh, Mamo. Mark Moriarty and I were both commie chefs. It was it was a it was an amazing time to be there and um, pretty wild. Like it was it was crazy. We were working very hard and working a lot of hours, but we felt like we were in the right place, cooking the right food. I mean, I remember filleting fish as an eighteen-year-old. You know, the mackerel on the back on the back sink, and Kevin coming in having foraged in the morning. And I, I don't really remember having any knowledge of foraging or even thinking it was a thing back then. It was just something that Kevin did. What year was that? That would have been 2007, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's interesting. But he had things like dry ice and um, bog oak and all these stuff, as well as raviolis and gnocchi and, and, and foie gras and all these type of things. But... Uh, although I was too young at the time, I remember Kieran. You know, he's he's probably five years, six years older than me. He was butchering the likes of snipe and woodcock and whole venison, and I was I, I was there just learning from these guys myself and Mark Moriarty, who's done extremely well in his career as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they were they were really, a really amazing time, and they were generous. And not going to lie, it was a very very hard hard uh, dip like challenging learning experience as well it was not an easy kitchen to be in but um it was brilliant it was a great great place to start start my career 
Yeah, and uh, when um, you mentioned, did you did you go from from uh, from Kevin then to to Kiki's, or was there was there was there I suppose bits and pieces in between that as well? Yeah, I went. I think I I was a commie chef there in Thornton's, and I I moved to One Pico, um, owned by Eamon O'Reilly, um, as a chef de partie. And I remember just my first day there as a CDP and kind of evaluating how much I'd actually learned of Kevin and the team. You know, it, it seemed it seemed quite you know quite easy what we were doing, and then just learning, learning, learning through Kieran, the chef there and one Pico and just, just developing my skills as a chef there. But following that, I, I, I moved straight to Kike da Costa. What brought you to Kike? Was it like, um, an interest in that kind of that, the, the way he was cooking or was it more, I suppose, for traveling and to, to, to broaden your own experience? Yeah, I think, you know, El Bui was, was a massive, a massive part of it. I used to, there were two books I used to read it in college while I probably should have been studying. And that was, I guess it was a form of study when that was the Noma book and the El Bui book. And I applied for a, I applied for both of them. And I just took, I was learning, I was doing Spanish in college at the time. And I just decided it was, it was a good opportunity to learn, to try and learn Spanish. So I headed over there and it was phenomenal, like an incredible experience working there, working with former chefs of El Bui, Juan Fra Valiente, and a team of 40 cooks. But I just, above anything, what I really took from that place was the respect for staff and people. It was phenomenal, just the, the level of care and authenticity and, and team, team ethic that was there. Like for me, Noma is the pinnacle and, and the best quality food and, and and ethos of every experience, but Kika da Costa was the best, was the best team atmosphere. Yeah. And I think for me, it's, it's certainly something that has changed a lot. And I suppose you, you mentioned, I suppose, like the difference between like coming out of like Torrance, which was, I suppose, like, like many kitchens of that time, like incredibly hard, incredibly long hours. And I mean, that was the, I suppose the culture. And if you wanted to, to play the game, that that's what you, that's the way that you had to play. But it's, it's amazing how, how the space of the kitchen has, has transformed uh, in the last say 15 or, or 20 years where, and even when you mentioned about Kike's and the care, and I, I know that the, the size of Kike's brigade is just, is, is huge. But I think that, that care, and you mentioned the word ethics, and like ethics is really important for me in, in terms of food, and, and it's often not something we think about, but not only the, of the ethics of the food, but I think of the ethics of the, of the, the person who is cooking and then the team that are cooking and, 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 and using the best produce, but also using, uh, having, treating the people well who are using that produce. And I think sometimes they haven't gone hand in hand over the, over the years. And I, I, it's, it's good that we're, I, I think hopefully we're in, we're in a better position now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, th there's no room for the, for the abuse that, that would have, you know, went on when I, when I was kind of starting cooking, you know, that, that just, that atmosphere is not really, and shouldn't be tolerated anymore. Yeah, no, and I, I know it's not that I don't look, I mean, every, I suppose cooking is like football or, or rugby or something. There are teams and they play different ways and that, and I'm not, I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's never going to happen, but I think that the more, I suppose, people who, who get into positions of whether they are the head chef or where they are the owner, and then hopefully that, that they will, 
understand and learn and then know that it's nurture is the is the is the best way forward because i think to get the best out of people but also i think to make sure that they're that they're growing i think you've you've a certain amount of responsibility as someone who has passed through whether it's very uh, formative places or that, and then you need to you need to bring that as a as an educator. I mean, that's at least the way I understand it. That it's not so much information that you've gathered for for yourself. It's like information that you've gathered, and and how can you pass that on in whatever way you can? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I I, I feel I have a, a certain level of duty to you know as a hopefully a, a restaurant owner. To create a, a, a great, a great environment, a working environment for for the staff that choose to come and join me, you know, that's just something I I really really believe in, and I I, I want this industry to be a great working place for people. Yeah, and no, no, I completely agree, and I, I I suppose for me it's just about how, how much how can I leave it better than when I found it. That's really the, the one of the main goals of, and of course that brings in food, but it has to bring in how how one is. And I remember being an 18 or 19 year old, or actually I think even as early as 15 when I was cooking and actually being afraid, like when I was 15, because I was afraid of the sous chef or afraid of the head chef and, and actually really afraid of making mistakes. Whereas I hope now that of course you have to learn and there has to be discipline in there. Yeah. But at the same time, I think you have to be able to approach it better than, than people need to be, I suppose, in some, in some way happy. I know it's, it's hard when, when there's pressure that surrounds you, but I think there has to be a certain uh, happiness in the workplace and, there has, and that has to happen throughout the day. And I always feel personally responsible if, 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 it's, if it's not going that way, even though if I'm not in the kitchen and it's someone else acting like that, I feel responsible for that because I'm allowing that to, to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really hope that, you know, in the future, people can, will also, you know, will practice that wholeheartedly like you do. You know, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are preaching things like that. And, and behind the scenes, there's, um, it's not quite, you know, going as they say. No, and, and I think that's, I think we have to, I suppose, find our own way in the industry. And I mean, I think that, I mean, for me, like idea, like uh, like meditation and mindfulness and stuff like that uh, is is a it works in in a in a small way not not in not in any sort of preachy way but I think that trying yeah. to right. trying to create a better environment and like I'm not I'm never one to whether it was call out places or the, I I would I don't believe that that's the the, the way forward mm. I think the way forward is to try and change things for the better. And I think that creating antagonism in, in the industry, I think that uh, places have to find their own way of getting there, you know, and I think that has to, has to happen internally. And so that has to happen among the staff that are there. And I think this, I think it's, it's, it, it, there's no point in standing out from the outside saying you should be doing better and you should be yeah. doing better. And because I, because, because I could equally be, uh, at fault where because we have 50 staff so i could equally be at fault where i have like eight sous chefs and i i i'm who do, who do i know who who is good and who is bad and so and that's it's a job in itself and it's checking in and making sure that and so it, it it does sometimes it doesn't matter what i say and i can say whatever i say but in the heat of the heat of the battle things can go with the way they go but i think it's just about that 
trying to keep on uh, educating the guys and say, this is the atmosphere we have to create. And there is no alternative. And it takes a long time. And it's still, I, I'm absolutely wouldn't say we're, we're, uh, we're perfect, but at least we're in a, we're in a, a better position. I think that we are, that we are now, but I, I, I wanted to go on to, uh, I suppose your, your Copenhagen years. Cause I suppose I, I met you, uh, I'm not sure if I had met you before. Uh, I, I met you when you were in geranium. Uh, and then I subsequently uh, bumped into you when I was doing a, 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 a two day stage in, 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 in Noma. But I, I assume like that, that, that experience, I mean, you've talked about Noma already, but the experience of, uh, of those two places, um, created a certain, um, or you had a certain affinity with them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I absolutely fell in love with the cooking style in Copenhagen and the city of Copenhagen. I mean, I'm still, there'll always be a place there in my heart. I mean, it was just, just such an incredible place to be during that period. Um, it really felt like a food mecca. And the food that was being cooked there, you know, I instantly connected to. So I'd never really experienced like even though Kika da Costa was a great working kitchen, I'd never experienced an actual restaurant, restaurants or kitchens that had been designed in such an amazing, aesthetically beautiful and functional way. That's one of the one of the the aspects that caught caught my attention right away. That hang on, I don't actually have to be work. I don't have to work in a you know a crap environment. I can actually yeah yeah work in a beautiful kitchen you know and and so open as well. I mean both yeah. of the like where you can literally the transparency between the 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 floor and the kitchen and like whether it was the oh I still love the old, the the first Noma I still and maybe it's the the romantic in me that I still <laughs> I, I I still I, I when I think of that building and that kitchen and the 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 way in which I suppose you could you could you could um you sat in the space and I understand. Um, uh, that you develop as yourself and uh, for Rene changed uh, change things and that. But yeah, it's, I suppose maybe it's like the band. I think David Grohl was talking recently about there's certain people that just want to listen to his first two albums and then there's other people who want to listen to the rest. <laughs> and it's not that, I mean, I'm a big Foo Fighters fan, but I do find myself listening to the, the first two or three albums a lot. And then I, I, I get I get to know their, their, their later stuff less and less. But maybe it's that, uh, yeah, it, it's that kind of perception. Or maybe it's just when I went there, it was at that point in my life where it was kind of like just food in the edge. It just started and we went over. And I really, I felt... Like, oh my God, we can learn so much from these guys. So much, like, uh, and you mentioned Copenhagen as a city. And for me, it's still like, it's one of the number one cities that I go to, to try and just research a little more, whether it's coffee shops or bakeries or, or fine dining restaurants, there's always something to take away from it uh, and say, God, we could be doing this in Ireland. We could be doing this better in terms of the products or that. And, and hopefully we can um, continue to do that. But when you spoke at Food and the Edge, which I think was, was it 20, 2017? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. You mentioned uh, taking part in uh, in uh, Noma, Mexico. Yeah, and uh, and and that experience, and I, I suppose it's something that's really important for me, and that's why I remember it. When because sometimes when you associate dishes with people, and then and even in my own kitchen, I hate the three restaurants. I hate when someone like when when we say this person created this because there's such a long process of gestation. I remember you were talking about. I can't remember the specific dish, but you were talking about elements that have come from the different people that then were passing through you. So what was that dish again? I think that was, was that the, um, 
the fruit dish, the... I think it was something that Lars had done or something you were, you were talking about. I'm not sure if it was, if it was the dish in Mexico or maybe it was the dish you were, you were, you were, you were working on in, um, in Noma, the urchin one, but it, but just about that process of, of, of many hands passing through that process, as opposed to one central, you know, um, uh, godlike figure conferring down stuff, you know? Yeah. I think what was really marking Marking for me with Noma was that the food was all about the soul of the cooking. And it wasn't, while Geranium was fantastic and an incredible three Michelin star restaurant, and Noma is, of course, a two. They, the, just how they cooked and how dishes were created in Noma was just remarkable. Like going into Noma, I had relatively experience in, in these restaurants, but I, I recall on my first day, just looking around me and just thinking, my God, I'm so out of my depth. Despite it being a two star, we're just amazing. And, you know, you, you learn and you, and you're, you're, you must learn fast there, you know, or you won't, you, you're, you're not at the races. So very quickly you, you, you try and step it up, but I just remember how the chefs were touching the food and how they caressed it and, you know, almost like, it, although tweezers were used, there was like greasy hands and the hands were almost in the actual plates. You know, they were a part of it and connecting pieces of food together. And it was also intertwined um, with this choreography and movement where not, a, not, not only that everyone knew where each other were, you know, we also knew where every element of the dish came from, from the supplier to the uh, to the grower, to the land where the where the food was from, all that stuff we were very informed by because, at the same time, we had to be. We we were a part of that dining room. It was my first geranium, and was really my first introduction to a dining room, and we had to know the ins and outs of of the dishes, and that just brought much more respect to the ingredients we were cooking. Yeah, it's something that I I, I, I suppose I. I find that it's 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 quite different now, but I mean, chefs have come out. I suppose are much more involved in in the in the service of the food now, and uh, I can't pinpoint exactly where that where that came from. I'm sure Noma played its part in in terms of the chefs bringing stuff out. It's something that we that we started with in in an ear, and and it certainly came out. Uh, that came from Noma, but where where it came from Noma before that, I'm not too sure. But I do think I do think it it creates a more rounded, I suppose, understanding of of uh, of the experience of food. Whether you're taking a plate or dropping a plate, you're there is a bit more responsibility there on on the chef's part in terms of rather than just sending it out in as you said like in the past sending it out from a real a kitchen that mightn't look the best might have no windows might mightn't be have any and mightn't reflect anything to do with the, the beauty of the food that is there but i think that mm. opening that environment in uh, in Noma and geranium to a certain degree as well i mean the whole every time i went there the kitchen seemed to get smaller and smaller mm. um, and uh, because just of just to have the kitchen almost like as a piece of, a piece of theater it was a stage in front of the guests yeah. so they could they could um, see everything in that and um, when when did you when did you when did you come back to Ireland uh, from from was Noma the last the last place you worked in on, uh, yeah. before you before you came back yeah so I spent almost three years in Noma and then I came back in 2019 um, where I worked in Bastable and did you did you went you did you go straight into Bastable. Um, I suppose with the intention of of trying to, 
I was trying to do something like you had seen in Noma, or was it much was it much more rounded uh, kind of idea of like, well, I, I'm going to take in like I suppose like what I've been doing for a long while, or uh, how did that? How did you find that experience? I think I I've always wanted to be an owner and I of a restaurant, and um, I knew that while I while I'd worked for some really tremendous chefs in the past it was important that I cooked my own food and demonstrated what I could do and uh, Barry of Fitzgerald the owner of uh, Bastwell is an old old friend of mine and um, we we had a couple of chats and I, I came on board and just set about started cooking and it was kind of like dish by dish I would place I would put one dish on 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 the menu and then it, it just kind of grew from there so we spent a year basically just trialing things. And, and are you still involved in basketball then? To no, or, no, I'm not. So with, with, with the pandemic, I decided that it was best if I, if I moved on and, and started my own plans for my own place. And, and I suppose just to, like, to go, I suppose most, most people would be, would be up to date with your, with your two most recent plans. But I suppose I just wanted maybe for you just to explain to the listeners the idea behind OMOS. Hopefully I'm saying that right. <laughs> And uh, I know we've, we even we even practiced this, but anyway, what was it the pandemic that was there a certain period of reflection that said, look, I'm, I'm going to do, I want to do something else, and whether that's through the kind of the the as was the educational tool that is Omos or, or or producing a product. I mean, what changed in your thinking from saying? Okay, maybe maybe I need to step out of the kitchen, or, or was that was that a kind of like was that always going to happen, or was it the pandemic that made you kind of reflect? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I I guess I am out of the kitchen, but there's some. I don't feel like I've stepped out of the kitchen. I still very much uh, feel like I'm still there, and I'm I'm just preparing myself to come back. Mm. Uh, I've always wanted to do this, and and but when the pandemic uh, came around. I just said, you know, there's no better time to get this going. I'm, I, I may never get this 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 kind of reflective period back. So, for the last year and a half, I've basically um, developing the brand of Omos and um, and creating a business plan and, and connecting myself with the right people and yeah, just trying to get a, a, a really solid plan for the future. And just just for the, the listeners, just uh, could you describe in a few words like what uh, what Omos is? Yeah, so Omos is basically a concept um, that will one day be a restaurant, but for now it's it's a community. So I'm it's my intention to connect my ideas and with people with a community, um, a like minded group of people who want. Um, the best for food, for Irish food, for um, for the planet, for the environment. We launched our website recently along with our online store where we have a, a number of products and more to come. And also um, a really interesting journal I write weekly now, which basically talks about my beliefs and the, and the beliefs of the people that I encounter and meet and it's a vehicle for me to share to share this kind of knowledge, and um, yeah, we're really excited for the future. Yeah, and if anyone, I suppose, listening doesn't know of Omos, or like, uh, I think it's it's a great thing that you can subscribe to this, I suppose, newsletter or uh, reflective journal and that. But I mean, even I find I find it great as well because not only 
I suppose uh, for me, it's, it's, even, it's even great as a mirror to a certain degree because it's nice to see other things confirmed. And it's, do you know what I mean? Even, even in some of the things that you mentioned and whether it's producers or products or that, uh, it's nice to see that, that it's growing, you know, and because the more that we can create of these networks and communities, the more food will flourish in a, in, in a better way. And I, I think that that idea... Of, of creating a community, which is what I suppose that the whole, the whole purpose of, 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 for me, for Food in the Edge was like, even though it is a symposium, that the, the most important thing was creating a, a, like a, an international like-minded community, community. So people would say, oh, I know Ireland, I know what it is, or I know where it is, or just, just for that, as opposed to when you travel and you go, oh, you're from Ireland, I don't know anything about that. I think it is that idea of a network. And while they take a long time to build, it's just gradually just getting people who are interested or, or people who are listening and then, uh, and then, and then, and then building, building upon that. Mm. And food on the edge was, is so, and has been so phenomenal for Ireland and, and at creating that. I mean, it was such a, a brilliant instigator for, for everything and, and for more to come. I hope, hopefully so. And, and this, and this year we're actually, we're actually in, um, uh, we're, we're, we're in Dublin this year, um, fingers crossed, um, that we're, uh, we're hoping it will be an airfield estate. Um, oh. yeah, so they, we're still, look, it's still very pandemic, um, uh, contingent on what happens, but, uh, whether it's going to be blended and uh, physical or, or stuff like that, but like we're, we're, we're fingers crossed. The idea was always to try and move, the idea initially was to try and move it out of Galway every second year, but like that didn't happen, I suppose, because of various, I suppose, financial and, and other things like that. But I, I, the idea of, of having move around for me is really important because there's no point in just staying in one space and because there are so many other spaces and so many other people and the food, food, we need to, I suppose for me, food needs to get better in many other places. And, and because the product is there, I mean, anywhere in the country, there are great products, you know, and often these products go to the cities, but I think it's trying to bring food back to the, to the, to where these products are from. I think for me is, uh, is, is, is what's, uh, what's important. Definitely, definitely. And what about the drink that you brought out, the Vintner's Companion? Do you want to just tell us a bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I guess over the pandemic, while I haven't cooked in restaurants, I've taken the opportunity to collaborate with friends on a number of, of projects, you know, pop-ups. We did kebab, like goat kebabs to collaborations with Scale Bakery and, and all these type of things. And most recently, I did a collaboration with uh, Clemda Pico, so the tea specialists in Dublin, and we created non-alcoholic beverage that is a wine alternative. And the inspiration for that was serving juice pairings in the likes of Noma. Instead of, instead of having an alcoholic pairing, you could have this juice pairing that was essentially an alternative to wine and almost made like wine by the sommeliers with really, you know, savory notes and, and herbaceous notes. And although it was a juice, it wasn't like drinking a, you know, a, a glass of, of orange juice. It was quite a sophisticated drink that would really pair well with food. So I wanted to bring that to the retail side of us. And that's what we've done with the Vineyard's Companion. It's, um, it's a blend of kombuchas with um, an organic apple juice from Waterford, meadow sweet, which is a foraged herb that tastes like hay and vanilla. And we also add butter um, through a technique called fat washing, which gives the mouthfeel of alcohol without the actual alcohol, um, as well as contributing 
flavors of apple pie to the to the beverage so it's quite a sophisticated uh complex drink but it's going down really well at the moment you, where, where are you selling this so we're in nine stockists in Dublin and Wicklow now, um, and a lot of our a lot of our friends and colleagues came on board and wanted wanted to stock. So we're in um, a couple of wine shops, neighborhood wine. Um, we're in Redmond's in Ranla, and also a couple of others as well as um, Kilruddery in Wicklow. So hopefully we'll expand after this. I must get a few a few bottles for tartar. <laughs> that will uh because uh, we we actually that was another pandemic thing we started to sell I suppose wine as an all, as a as an off license as well and uh, but again it's something that like and it's interesting that you may that you mentioned the juice pairings in Noma and geranium and it's still like some one some of my I suppose formative memories of of the two places and eating in them is actually the juice pairing because it was the first time. I felt that I that I didn't like. I, mean, I, I felt like I wasn't missing the wine. If you know what I mean, that when yeah. I had that the juice pairing, and I was like, "God, this is amazing!" Like the complexity of it, the as you said, like the 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 the, the different mouthfeels and flavors and all that was just every, and every single course was I, was just uh, matched with a with another juice, and uh, it was something that really I suppose left a very strong impression on me, and it is something that. I mean, again, it's in the future that I, that I hope we can we can we can develop. But I think it is the next, and it's interesting as also that you say again that you're that you're you're in the in the kitchen creating a drink because I feel it's the same process uh, at the end of the day when you're when you're making whether you're making a kombucha or a, or a, uh, you're making you're making a dish like it is something again you're putting ingredients together uh, to create to create something. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like creating a cocktail, but. These juices, you know, they're, they, they do exactly what we try and, and do every day in, in restaurants, and that's make a, an, in, an inclusive environment. So people who aren't drinking, can't drink, don't want to drink, aren't in the position to feel a part of, you know, the experience. Um, and we can almost reverse that. So they, they are the ones that are, you know, the center of the, of the party or have that really interesting drink. So it's, really, it's been really cool. To discover that, yeah, and I remember that's a memory from being in Noma as well. It's like whoever had the juice pairing was like, "Can I try your juice?" It was like almost that everyone, that whoever had the wine was kind of like, "Well, you just have the wine; it's normal." Uh, <laughs> it was like, "I want to try the juice," and it does. I think it brings it brings a greater appreciation, and maybe this is, I mean, from from a, an Irish perspective, and and having a very a culture dominated by alcohol and and uh, and not food that I think that for me, it did open up my eyes to, wow, you can, you can go to a restaurant and sit in a restaurant and you don't have to have a drink and yet you can come out just as satisfied or whatever other way uh, as, as you can without having felt you've missed something. Yeah. And I think some, that maybe it's a hang up. And again, I was talking to this, the Spanish journalist today about the, the, the difference between Irish drinking culture and Spanish drinking culture and whatever, but I think it's still this hang up that we have to get over. And maybe that the, the pandemic will, will change things and the ways in which that we, I suppose, separated food and drink and, and had places to drink and places to eat. And play, of course, there are, there are elements that bring those together. But uh, I wonder, will the, will the pandemic change our relationship to that I suppose, traditional Irish pub where food wasn't uh, uh, like food was a packet of crisps or a packet of peanuts? And, and, and we didn't. And it's not that I, I, I still love that the experience of the traditional Irish pub. It's not that I think that, that it does. I think food doesn't not having food doesn't take away from it. But I think 
I think the when when it's when it's only about the excess of drinking and 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 then food is is kind of suffers because of that, then I think that's where we need to I suppose uh, question question these things. Yeah, and I, th- I think things are changing. You know, there's definitely there's definitely an openness to a product like this, and also you know people are um, they've really found uh, an interest in the flavor of of alcohol and not so much in just. And the mate, the way you know the consequences, but um, yeah, I mean that's probably. The, I mean that comes out of that, I suppose that Nordic revolution as well in terms of natural wine, and I know that goes back to, to France in a much earlier period in the in the seventies. But I think that even having an interest in that is does mean that the flavor is is taking as much if not more precedence than the alcohol that's in it because it's not it's not something you can drink just for the alcohol's sake because it's there is yeah. a lot of complexity there well and, and b it's expensive uh, and it's and, and there's an appreciation there where you're going okay oh, this is an interesting flavor or whatever's going on there so i think that has that has changed um i think perception as well and also i think the fact that we i find the between an ear and tartar now we sell more lower alcohol wines now yeah. uh, and and i think that's because of the food but it's also because of i mean yeah like i mean the, the less alcohol you drink the more you can appreciate the food because unfortunately the more alcohol you drink the more confused you get and if it's a very long <laughs> menu i remember actually in uh and it's and it's nothing to take away from the selican rocket but i remember having their tasting menu i think we had like 20 15 or 20 wines. And I know they were small, but I remember at the end of it, I couldn't remember. I was like, I'm losing count of where the dishes are and the food, the food is and what we're eating. And, and it was just, I remember leaving going, God, I feel a bit confused. And yeah. And having that <laughs> experience without alcohol, which I'm sure would be, would be just as good. And it's also because they're the sommelier is one of the brothers as well. So there's no, they don't hold back anything in terms of the alcohol offering is, yeah. is on par with the food and there's 47,000 bottles in the cellar. So all of that contributed to being, oh my God, overwhelmed. What uh, you can also do is, you know, blend. So you can, and I don't mean blend the drinks, but you know, you can have a mix of a wine and a juice pairing and have, you know, it's staggered. So you're not at that stage by the end of a meal. It's that's something that we was very much acceptable in at No Man. You know, it was great. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good idea. And actually, we like even and I, maybe it's I don't know if we're getting older and and wiser, but we actually reduced the volume of our of our of our pairing because we found over the course of a meal people could be drinking like at one stage I think it was a liter. Like it was like a bottle and uh, a bottle and a half, yeah, seven hundred fifty. And while that might seem like, oh yeah, it's only a bottle of wine, but when you're trying to make the food complex and the wine is complex, I found at the end of it, people were just going, God, you know what? Uh, and so we reduced it down to I think six hundred and fifty mils now or something. But and of course, it's 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 a, it, the price is affected. But I just felt that like it, the 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 experience wasn't uh, we weren't serving ourselves right in terms of giving loads of wine. Cause as I know, sometimes people go out and in the restaurant and that is like, they want to enjoy themselves. And, and, and it's, a, I suppose it's a different type of experience when they want to say, well, look, let's have a load of food and a load of wine and get really merry and, and a little bit drunk. But I think when you have a longer tasting menu, yeah, the, the more alcohol you have, the tired you get and the, the more you can, the less you appreciate, I think the end of the meal, you know, and then it's, it's a, it's a, it, the start of the meal is, is, is always, always has more of a, more of a, more of a buzz about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's true. It's true. Ah, it's not, it is nice to be a bit merry at the end, though, as well. Oh, listen, look, don't, like I am uh, just just for it, just for yeah, just to flag. I am absolutely not a purist, <laughs> and, I, and I and I like my wine. Sometimes when they talk about these things, they go, "You don't drink at all now." No, listen, absolutely. Uh, I'm not. I think look, no more than anything else with our with whether it's consent culture or taking care. It's all about balance, and it's just about, uh, and it's also about I think difference of experience, you know, and I think that. Again, sometimes it, it, it's the experience that dictates what's going to happen as opposed to you coming in going, this is what I'm going to do, you know, because and I think that sometimes we have to kind of let ourselves go sometimes when, when we when we go out to dinner and kind of and, and, and be guided a little as opposed to I'm going to do this and I'm going to drink this wine. And then the smellier saying, you know what, that's not really going to go with the food. And someone saying, well, I'm going to have it anyway. And that has happened to us before in, the, in an ear on occasion. And I suppose you, you give the customer what they want. But, but like when you go into the theatre, you never, that never happens. You know, you don't say, I'm going to sit here because that's what I want to sit. Um, they're much going to go, so well, you can't sit there. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's uh, like, I, I don't know. I think it's just because our food, again, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, the idea of confidence and just getting more confidence in, in ourselves and our ability to, appreciate the, the restaurant, the dining experience, the, 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 the drink pairing, the juice pairing, whatever it is. And, and I hope like, and it is doing well anyway, but I hope that, that, that we'll see like your, your drink in on, on wine menus and on pairings and that. And I think that's uh, it's a really, it's a really important thing and beer as well. I mean, look, I think it's, we, we don't appreciate our own beer half enough um, uh, in in the restaurant in Indian Ireland, and particularly when it comes to fine dining and offering beer pairings and that, and I think that that's something that we can look into more. Yeah, definitely, I, I completely agree. That would be fantastic to have the the beverage feature in in restaurants as well. You know, just well, I, I I'll get a few anyway, and I'll talk to our sommelier, <laughs> and if he doesn't like it, I'll uh, I'll make him like it. <laughs> uh, they're always like depends on the sommelier and where they're from, and they're always like, oh, anyway, new. It's the same when you bring loads of natural wine in and new ideas. But anyway, we all have to. We all have to learn. And you said, like, uh, again, with, with just just to finish up, and it's been great, great talking to you. Uh, with the, you're, you're hoping that, like, eventually, uh, Omos will, will well, I suppose, will be will become a restaurant. And do you have any ideas of what of what shape that might take, or what type of restaurant? Or for you at the moment, are you just kind of you're happy enough to 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 do what you're doing at the moment and keep building that community and, and producing a few products? Yeah, I, I say I have a fairly set vision of what I'm looking for. Um, I'm definitely interested in, you know, creating tasting menu. It is it is the style I, I really enjoy cooking. Um, it kind of exploits the mo- my creativity, or and and that kind of research is what I really really adore. So, but as well, you know, in touching on my grandfather and uh, and a publican, I think I I took it a little bit from him. I absolutely love hospitality, so. It goes just as much into creating a, a kitchen as it does the dining room and, and being with people and being able to serve. And I guess that's one of the main reasons why I'm in the industry that I'm in. It's, um, it's so infectious and um, it, can be, it can be really wonderful. So I want to create the best possible experience I can. So that's hopefully what the future of almost will be. I thought for a second when you just mentioned the public, I thought you go, and I'm going to put a tasting menu in a pub. In a pub. <laughs> so, yeah. And I was like, wow, that is going like, that's far out there. And that you'll, you'll, you'll really be challenging people. But anyway, listen, it, is, it has been great uh, talking to you, uh, Kuhn. And um, uh, for anyone who's listening to the podcast, we have other podcasts up on our website at the moment. And they're also up on uh, other platforms. So 
such as Apple and uh, Spotify and also uh, Podbean. So thanks very much, Kuhn. Uh, good luck to everyone in the future. And hopefully we will, we will talk to you soon. 